the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. My name is Max Terman. I am your moderator. With me this week is brand new sweater-having Daniel Rye. <laughs> Great look. Fresh new haircut-having Scott Reed. Yes. And hand-me-down dentures owner Bill <laughs> Cal. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, would you put your dentures back in and pray for us, please? <laughs> Lord, we thank you for this day. It's so great to see all this snow. It reminds us of who's really in charge of this world. We bless your name and we pray we glorify you in this podcast and say something that brings encouragement and comfort to others. Amen. 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 Scott. Take it away. Welcome right. back, by the way. Thank you. Back from Disney World. Yeah. You guys have a podcast last week? We did. What'd you talk about? <laughs> How do I not remember? It was a whole thing. We did. I mean. Oh, no. We did. Um, wasn't no. it 316? That was the week uh, that, that Daniel was, was gone. That was the week I was Scott gone. was here. And last week, we talked about. Are you it sure was, you had a podcast? It was, it was Mark Tauby. <laughs> it was talking about Mark Tauby's sermon. Right, and the, yeah. but he wasn't at the podcast because <laughs> yeah, he couldn't, make it, he couldn't come. Yeah. yeah, it was too late. Mm-hmm. It was close. Yeah. Huh. So mm-hmm. uh, in the recording, it's going to be lightning fast. You're like, "What are you talking about?" I'm be like, "Oh, it was Mark Tavi's sermon. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> better not be. <laughs> <laughs> better be that whole thing." All right. How was Disney World? It was great. It was exhausting. We were there from. We got there Sunday night. Um, well, Chelsea, Chris, and Lee and I got there Sunday night. My parents and. Uh, Grace and Colin got there a little bit earlier on Sunday, and then Monday to Thursday, we did the four parks, and then Friday, we went back to Magic Kingdom in the morning, and then to Disney Springs in the afternoon, and then Saturday, we went back to Hollywood Studios, and then flew out that night. Okay. So, nice. So, it's just the immediate family. Yeah. Okay. Did you see the Wajayas while you were down there? We did, (laughs) briefly. Um, they visited us when we were at Disney Springs, and I got to see Adrian, which was nice. Yeah. Because I had seen Nina the week before when she was here. You haven't seen Adrian in a year. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. How was the flight back? The flight back was <laughs> fine. We flew Spirit. That's why he's asking. Oh, that's right. It was okay. So I think I think Spirit, uh, our, our Lyft driver to the airport, described Spirit as a la carte flying, hmm. which mm-hmm. I've never heard it described that way, and that just makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, but I think with Spirit, it's like if you go in prepared for the things you're going to have to pay for or not, um, or opt to not do that, then I think it's not too bad. The one problem that I was really having, and I, I can't really fault Spirit for this, was that, like, A, I was exhausted, and B, and maybe I can fault Spirit for this, my bag didn't fit, my backpack didn't fit, like, all the way under the seat in front of me, which it normally does. So I was kind of like poking out by, I'll say, like, about 25%. So, like, my feet kept, like, touching it, hmm. which made me, over the course of, like, the two- to three-hour flight, feel very claustrophobic. Hmm. Um, and I was super tired. So I would, like, try and sleep, and then I'd feel, like, really gross and, like, antsy, and, like, hmm. I got to get out of here. And then I'd be like, I'll, like play a game on my switch or whatever to try and get my mind off it. And I do that for like 10 minutes then like start falling asleep. And I got to sleep. And that happened like three or four times. Wow. So that sucked. But, um, <laughs> but spirit itself was not horrible. Yeah. Um, you just got, I think you just got to know what you're getting into mm-hmm. um, and what they're, what they will and will not do for you and bring your own water because they didn't have any water. <laughs> they didn't have any water on the you flight. You could buy it. Oh, okay. Um, could you buy it? You might not even be able to buy it. <laughs> they, were, they apologized for something, and my like my interpretation of what they said was, "I'm not getting water from you." So they might have apologized that it was only available for purchase, or maybe they apologized that it was not available for purchase. But I had a water bottle, so wow. I was fine. Yeah, seriously. All right, welcome back. Give us some water. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I think what we're going to do today—it's been a while, probably since November, maybe even longer—we're going to do. Would you rather Toastmasters? Because Mercy I love that. Us. Yeah, I think I've got a new card here. I haven't read all of the options. Hunger Games. <laughs> only one can survive. Where three friends enter and only one can leave. <laughs> all right, so we're gonna start with Bill will be the judge. Daniel and Max going head to head. I'd like to take this opportunity to bribe the judge. Also, in case you're in case you're joining us for the first time, the way that this works yeah. is that I'm going to give. We've got a bunch of would you rather cards here. I'm going to give the two 
debaters, which in this case are Daniel and Max, us. the two halves of a would you rather question, and they're going to have to present their arguments to the judge, which in this case is Bill, as to why they're... <coughs> Their half is the one that you should choose. And Bill is going to do his best to decide uh, which one made the better argument. So, Daniel, you are arguing for always walking around with small stones in your shoes. And, Max, you are arguing for always having smoke in your eyes. Thank you. You're welcome. Bill, you get to decide who goes first. Take it away, Daniel Wright. <clears throat> All righty. So... When you're walk, walking around, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what you want. <laughs> you know what you you really what you really need is you need some small little stones in your shoes. One, it, it adds a level of realism. You know, some people really enjoy walking on barefoot, like bare feet, just walking and feeling close to nature. And this way, with some stones in your shoes, you, you get that, that real feel of walking on a nice uh, stony beach. Mm. Mm. Well, I think having smoke. Wait, was that it? I thought there was two points. <laughs> okay. Think that was it. okay, cool. Just well, I think it. having smoke in your eyes is just overall a win. Uh, I would I wouldn't mind smoking my eyes just on a regular day. Um, you know, honestly, you get that smoky-eyed look. Uh, I think that that's famous. I don't remember what it means, but I assume it's good. Uh, and furthermore, you know, if, if you're tearing up because you know you got that smoke in your eyes feeling, it just adds a level of 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 compassion. It adds a level of emotional connection to every conversation you're going to have. And I'd like to remind you that if you're going to go running with stones in your shoes, you're going to run the Boston Marathon with stones in your shoes. That's, that's, that's just torture. That's not the Bill Calvin I know. I would like to give Daniel just the opportunity to respond as Bill is the judge. How do you, how, as a runner, do you have something for him <laughs> in this scenario? Because I feel like you should. You should try. <clears throat> so you might think you might you might think running with stones in your shoes is a disadvantage, but really it's a constant level of pain in your feet <laughs> that will take your mind off of all other sources of pain throughout the whole entire race. You won't even realize that it's getting harder to breathe, that there's aches going on in your in your legs and your knees as you're running because you're just concentrated on running and winning the race and then also the stones in your shoes. <laughs> Cool. Good job, Daniel. <laughs> All right, Bill. Who is it? Well, in this case, it's this is one of those debates where really there shouldn't even be a winner. <laughs> <laughs> but if you had to pick, <laughs> you had to give like a second place prize. The other person gets third. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to choose Daniel Wright because wow. that was an extremely difficult thing to... <laughs> To plug, uh, I remember a young Max once told, "Man, from the moment the question was asked, you had no chance." By Bill Callen, and now it's like, "Daniel, you had no chance, and that's why I'm giving it to you." Bill's getting soft. He's oh, golly. <laughs> yeah, the last thing you want in your oh. shoes is stones when you're running. Oh, that's like. Also, like my biggest pet peeve, like if walking in the parking lot, you get salt. Mm little salt rocks in your shoes, I will literally, like, stop to take them out because it's my biggest pet peeve. Yeah. So that was, that was an tough. internal battle for yeah. me. You did great. Thanks. And now you're the judge. Cool. Max, you're arguing for having to go to work in the morning without doing anything in the way of cleaning up except for brushing your teeth. Hmm. That doesn't sound that bad. Bill, you're arguing for having to do everything to clean up but not being allowed to brush your teeth. I'm sorry, can you say, can you read my option again? All right, so you're both going to work. Max? Finally. <laughs> about time. Max, you cannot clean up at all. You can't shower, you can't fix your hair, you can't do anything except brush your teeth. So brush your teeth. And Bill, you and can do it. permanent. Uh, or is just one day? Yeah, I'm going to say permanent. Oh, but it just says go to work in the morning. So I guess you can shower on the weekends. <laughs> <laughs> and Bill, you're, you're inverse. So you can brush your, you cannot brush your teeth, but you can do everything else. And this is what you're arguing to Daniel as to what, what he should choose. And Daniel, you get to decide who goes first. I want to hear from Max Terman first. I'm going to need one second. Um, I think, Daniel, your biggest advantage here is that you're in youth ministry. 
First of mm. all, uh, everybody respect. Like everybody, all these kids are like, you're living their dream. They're like, I wish I didn't have to shower every day. I was, you know, and you still have clean teeth. Like it's not like you have bad breath when you talk to them. You have immaculate teeth now. You'll have immaculate teeth mm. going forward. And like Scott says, when you're not going to work, you can shower on the weekends, which is fine. Showering, you know, Saturday, work on the weekend. Saturday, Saturday, Sunday, that's okay. <laughs> and it also helps you enforce taking a, a Sabbath and say, I'm not working today because I've got to shower. <laughs> My last point is that John the Baptist, a man that we all look up to, a man that I, I wish for my life to have the same impact that his did. You think he showered even once in his life? The man lived on locusts and honey, and he had one of the most effective ministries of all time. Billy Graham, famously filthy. I think, I think there's something to this about not washing your hair and expressing the gospel in grace and truth. Wow. <laughs> Bill is taken aback. All right. <laughs> Billy Graham was not famously filthy. <laughs> he was underground he filthy. He always looked wonderfully groomed. He was more handsome than the movie stars they would interview on the Johnny Carson show back then. But I would say my position of everything except the teeth is far, far better. For instance, my teeth... I, I just gargle with scope. Sure, I don't brush, but I gargle. And I get the germs off and the breath is fine. But then I've also had a shower and I've combed my hair. My skin isn't rotting on my body from <laughs> cleansing. My clothes are clean. I'm much more presentable. So that's the way I'm living. Mm. <laughs> that, that, Mouthwash, genius. <laughs> it is. It's, yep. Because because at that point you still <clears throat> functionally clean everything. Kinda. Kinda. I mean, Kinda. mouthwash will kill like most of the bacteria, but if you've got stuff on your teeth, like that's not going away. Mm. Depends on how well you gargle. <laughs> you swish. <laughs> how aggressively you can swish the logs around in your mouth. Give us a good gargle there, Bill. <laughs> That's pretty. That was thorough. That was pretty good. Was hey, you can run that mouthwash through your water pick. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Bill's this is ridiculous. <laughs> uh, it does just say brushing your teeth. It doesn't say. It doesn't say uh, go on. Doesn't say uh, do what you have to do. Next, I'm Shame just gonna... John the Baptist. Walk away from your faith. John the Baptist was in water all the time. He's baptizing people. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd also point out that this only says in the morning. You can shower as soon as noon hits. You should have said that. You could shower you, on your you, lunch you break. <laughs> you missed your chance. Daniel, you your chance. You I'm going to go with uh, Bill Muffin Calvin on uh, this fair one. Fair enough. <clears throat> All right. Fair enough. So we got one to one. Yeah. Max, you are the judge for the deciding. Yeah. I got to decide who I hate vote. more. <laughs> and Bill. <laughs> <laughs> Who's let me down harder? Um, which of these will be funnier? This one will be funnier. Bill, you are arguing for being forced to run on a giant hamster wheel at work every day for an hour. Hmm. At, specifically at work. I is, feel it, like, okay. is it paid time off? <laughs> so I think somebody you're going to have to justify this to your boss. <laughs> right. That's what I'm asking. <laughs> Maybe it's part of your job. It okay. says you're forced to do it. Okay. Or, Daniel, you're arguing for drinking only from a baby bottle every day. <laughs> Being forced to run on a giant hamster wheel at work every day for an hour or drink only from a baby bottle every day. Max, you decide who goes first. I'm going to have uh, Daniel Wright go first. <laughs> All right, Max. Um, you might think it's a little weird to have a baby bottle wherever you go, but I will say say this: um, it helps you practice um, one of the fruits of the spirit, which is self control. <laughs> You're not going to be um, taking in your liquids and your fluids throughout the day, like just slurping it up and like being like, "Man, now my stomach hurts." It's going to mm. be a gradual mm. progression and in intake of fluid throughout the day, so you're consistently hydrated and. You're doing it in style. Who else do you know? Who else do you know drinks from a baby bottle? That's a good question. That's, yeah, nobody. You don't know anybody. I so, don't know any ba- anyone and then, who's not a baby. And then, as opposed to something that will have you consistently throughout the day running, 
one hour today at work where you lose, you, you, you get tired, you're not hydrated, and then it's going to cause you to drink water faster, have a more upset stomach. Hmm. The baby bottle's the way to go. Hmm. <clears throat> Bill. Well, the baby bottle is the way to go if you want to have buck teeth. <laughs> However, running on the hamster wheel... My daughter is basically doing that with her stand-up desk, and sometimes you can have a treadmill walking. So people are purposely doing this. So the hamster wheel has some real, real attractive features. Mm. You're running, you're working, you're getting paid to run. It's only for an hour, so that's very doable. It's not eight hours a day. Uh, maintaining your health and then... <laughs> you've done it while you're working. Mm. So it's not like you got to carve out time in order to get your cardio in. I I think Peloton, you better look out. We're coming out <laughs> with the Bill hamster Calvin wheel. hamster wheel for workers. <laughs> mm. I think, I mean, I got to give it to Bill if for no other reason than uh, I, I need him to do still speak at my wedding. But also... <laughs> More importantly, an hour of exercise a day built into my workday is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, I'm not required to be that productive while I'm doing it. Like, hopefully, I'm not like have to be interviewing people while I'm just like, and why do you think you're qualified for this position? <laughs> but I think it'd be great. I like it a lot. Uh, as we speak, we are, oh, sorry, so Bill wins, right? Bill wins. Yeah. Bill wins. And today's prize? To Scott. <laughs> Satisfaction. <laughs> <laughs> it's a white water rafting trip for six. <laughs> Woo! Dan, yes. uh, as we speak, we're in the middle uh, of a major snowstorm here in Chicago, though it's, it's just about wrapping up. Uh, it goes through 6 p.m. tonight uh, and throughout the Midwest as a whole. And this is a topic that we talked about a little bit before. Um, but I wanted to ask the question... Uh, Kind of as our lead-in question to the, the the main topic, I want to get at with this: Is bad weather uh, a product of the fall? Were there tornadoes in Eden? <laughs> I don't think there were tornadoes in Eden. Okay. In fact, we're told that there wasn't even rain. Right. Because it didn't rain until Noah's flood. So that's an interesting question, Max. Is bad weather a result of the fall? It sure looks like it, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And yet, I love this snow. I think this is so neat. It's yeah. so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's interesting about that is that, you know, even if even though it's a, a product of the fall, let's say, in, in this world, that, that even rain, right, is a product of the fall, it still listens to Jesus, right? Even something mm-hmm. that's caused by, you know, original sin is still under God's command. It's not like it's its own wild type of, of, you know, creation. Yes. I'm thinking that passage in Job from 38 to 42, where God's talking to Job and he says, there's this, there are these storehouses of snow. Basically, where were you? Can you control these storehouses of snow? Mm. And poor Job. I mean, he can't do any of these things because they're they're outside the realm of a human being's possibilities. Yeah, that was a neat question, Max. I think the, one one of the questions is like, what what do we mean by bad weather? Mm. I think that's like something to ask. Um, and then wondering like, could there have been like, like were there seasons? then Hmm. in Eden and like how do you I don't know it's like (laughs) it's a a tough question because I mean there is like a natural like snow does help um snow helps rain helps Mm -hmm. but it also harms so maybe it was just it was only helpful snow only helpful (laughs) rain um but I don't I don't know. Certainly no tornadoes or earthquakes. Sure. Well, Scott, do you have a, a thought before I... Nothing I really have anything to add. Well, so I think, you know, in, in Romans 8, Paul talks about how creation itself is groaning and waiting for the day that it can join humanity in being rectified to God, right? It's, mm. it's, it's groaning and waiting for the day 
um, that it's no longer under the curse of sin and, and decay. And so mm-hmm. the way that I've read that recently has been almost in, in like the, you know, because he says against its will, it was subject to sin. And so it almost sounds like, you know, yeah, we have tornadoes and we have hurricanes and, and there is, you know, animals kill each other and things like that. But it's like, you know, almost in the same way that Paul says, like, I don't do the good I, I want to do, but instead I do the evil I don't want to do. Is like, you know, creation is waiting for the day that it no longer is dealing with the repercussions of sin and dealing with the, um, the violence and the the decay that, that comes from that. Does that seem accurate or is that you know, reading into things too much. You know what I'm thinking about is they've discovered in Antarctica plant life hmm. buried. That hmm. The point is, once upon a time, Antarctica was a tropics. Hmm. Think, huh. <clears throat> so that whole Garden of Eden, maybe it was the entire planet Earth was hmm. tropical. Hmm. Never snowing, hailing, raining. Mm-hmm. That would really be some biosystem to go see. That that is really neat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What does Paul mean when he says that creation is is groaning and waiting for the day that it can be made right with God? Well, I think one thing he's pointing out is that the fall had a lot of collateral damage. It wasn't mm-hmm. simply Adam and Eve, you are kicked out of the garden even and you are going to die and you're going to experience sickness and there's going to be strife and you're going to have to work by the sweat of your brow and have weeds to contend with. Mm-hmm. That there was all of that and then there's these innocent animals for instance. Right. That yeah. That's part of the collateral damage. The cows didn't do anything wrong, but there's <laughs> this expensive payment for sin that affects even the cows. Mm. They're not getting the best grass anymore, and mm-hmm. they get stuck in mud and anything. Yeah, man, they get caught in rain showers and mm-hmm. thunderstorms. Maybe once in a while, one of them gets killed by a lightning bolt. You think, wow. That is really wild. Hmm. Scott? Well, this is related, um, but to what Bill was just saying. Is, uh, in verse 22, it says, well, it says that we know that the whole creation has been groaning. And verse 23 says, not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Um I was just reading, like literally right before I came over here, I was reading uh, my the book on angels, which I'm slowly working my way through, um, even though it's not that long. Um, and he was talking about whether or not angels, fallen angels, uh, if there's any redemption for them. Uh, and one of the things he kind of kept coming back to is this idea that um, Jesus' work on the cross is for the atonement of humans and for the redemption of the earth, which God created for humans, not for the angels. Um, <clears throat> and it just reading this, it just kind of makes me think of uh, this concept that he kind of has touched on a couple times, that like God created the earth. And actually, this is, ties a little bit into something that N.T. Wright talked about in his book, Surprised by Scripture 2, um, that one of the like main thrusts, if not the main thrust, he might even, he might argue, of the entirety of Scripture is like reestablishing, not that he ever lost sovereignty, but like reestablishing God's kingship over the earth, like the kingdom of God coming into mm-hmm. uh, the world. And so when I see <clears throat> this a little bit, looking, comparing the groaning of the creation <clears throat> to the groaning also that we experience, I think that there's like the side of it that Bill was talking about of like groaning under the burden of sin and its fallout, but then on the other side, this is also a result of sin and its fallout, but the, like, anticipation for the rightful king to be where he belongs in rulership over it, Uh, which obviously he is, but also the sinfulness in the world has kind of kept him at arm's length in some ways because of that. He's not ruling over it as he will in 
that we see in the end of Revelation. So I think that there's like that element too of like the anticipation of of the rightful kingship uh, and the, the simultaneous burden of the consequences of sin. Hmm. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> the connection for sure of the the, the curse um, and in Genesis three also like and the restoration of it in yeah. Revelation that stands out stands out to me when we look at this and like this restoration God mm. God's restoration affects all aspects of life yeah yeah when when bad things happen <clears throat> when hurricanes and snowstorms and things like that happen how should we think about them how should we respond to them in our hearts right when in our prayers and in our relationship with God, right? How do we respond to seeing things, um, you know, because we talk a decent amount about responding to seeing evil perpetrated by other people, but when we see, you know, evil having its effect on creation and then creation hurting people, you know, how do we take that to God? Well, God is still sovereign. He's in charge, Mm -hmm. so I have no qualms about praying for safety Mm -hmm. because there's this storm or... Pray for the victims of a tornado. People are praying today that they can get home safely. That, right. that all makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I think it's okay to call out to God too and be like, this, this stinks. Um, I don't like it. I don't like it. Um, especially like in tragic situations with like hurricanes, um, earthquakes, and tornadoes. Like, like we, can, we can call out to God and be like, God, this isn't right. It's not supposed to be this way. Mm-hmm. Um, God knows that, and He's He's there to like comfort us in that as well. And I think also like knowing that God does still have control over it all. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite stories <clears throat> I remember hearing from my grandpa growing up. It's like he used to have a little trailer on like a lake um, in Iowa, and this was like when he was. The family was still pretty young. My my mom must have been, like, still a kid. Um, and a tornado came through, like, and they're in this trailer that had, like, no basement, no shelter. Wow. And he, I remember him telling, like, how they all, like, huddled together and he started praying. And, like, there was literally, like, it, the tornado went around the trailer and went back to the path it was going to. So, like, that was, like... Yes. It like shows me that God still does have <clears throat> control over this, mm-hmm. um, even though like it is a product of fall and there is so much wrong, um, mm-hmm. and like weather isn't like not that perfect um, garden scenario anymore. Doesn't mean God doesn't have <coughs> control over it either. And when God doesn't choose to move that tornado out of your way and it does destroy your house. I think that's very similar to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego Hmm. saying to King Nebuchadnezzar, we are not going to bow down to this statue. God can protect us, but if he chooses not to, we're not bowing down to this. Hmm. Hmm. Really, there's a sense in which if God would have allowed them to die in the fiery furnace, they would have instantly been in heaven. Right. So mm-hmm. that's not a booby prize going to heaven. Sure. That, that is the prize. Mm-hmm. But he spared them, and we're all thrilled about it because it just shows us yet again how mm-hmm. mighty God is. Mm-hmm. And I guess in that sense, it's very it's cute, and it seems like the right answer to say, like, you know, then it changes nothing because what I have belongs to God. Whether I have it or not, whether it's destroyed in, you know, a tornado or not, doesn't mean emotionally that's how we feel. Doesn't mean that that I'm not going to mourn that loss and be angry and be, you know, sad and and in pain. But I do think, you know, as you were saying, Bill, it made me think of like, well, it's not like my house belongs (laughs) to me until God decides to take it. It's like it's always his. And... No matter how long I live in it, no matter what I do to it, like it's his resource to use for his glory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Scott, what have you been looking up? Um, well, this is an interesting angle on all of this. Um, but 
I've been reading through the beginning of the Bible, and I just finished up Deuteronomy yesterday. I was trying to find this passage, and I think I found it, but now I'm just trying to find like a good example. Um, so this is specifically God speaking to Israel, and we know that God's relationship with Israel is a little different from his relationship with other people uh, and peoples. But in Deuteronomy 28, we have this uh, long... Well, the, the first part is blessings for obedience, and the second part, which is much longer, is curses for disobedience. Um, here we go. Uh, it says a lot of things, but one of the things it says uh, in verse 22 is the Lord will strike you with wasting disease, with fever and inflammation, with scorching heat and drought, blight and mildew, which will plague you until you perish. The sky over your head will be bronze, the ground beneath you iron. The Lord will turn the rain of your country into dust and powder. It will come down from the skies until you are destroyed. Um, and then I think elsewhere it says, um, where was that? The Lord will also bring on you every kind of sickness and disaster uh, not recorded in this book of the law. <laughs> After like a page and a full page and a half of the Bible. It's like even if I missed anything. <laughs> yeah, in case I forgot something. You can also, that too. also that. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. And then I was just reading today in Joshua um, this instance, I forget where it was, but somewhere where they were uh, chasing. Um, the Israelites were chasing an enemy army. Oh, here it is. Um, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. Uh, and then, of course, there's also the plague of hail in, in uh, yeah. Egypt. And Anyway, my point in all of this is to say that the Bible tells us explicitly that in some instances God sends these things. Hmm. Uh, and I think that's not really an aspect of God that we like to think about very much. Um, that, like, you know, somehow, and this isn't, it's like... The result of the fall is a curse on the earth, but that's a curse that was inflicted by God himself right. as a punishment for mm -hmm. sin, and that we see numerous times, particularly in the Old Testament, that God directly inflicts, like more intentionally, more kind of um, explicitly inflicts on people. Uh, and again, it's not really something that's super fun to think about, uh, but it is like a, another kind of angle of this whole conversation that like God is, the Bible tells us that, that God is not just passively like, oh, I sure do wish that this wasn't happening, um, but he's actually causing it to happen at times, which means that it is good, hmm. which is really hard to swallow. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, the reality is that all of us are sinners, and if God were to just kill us all right now because of our sin, that would be good, mm. which is also hard to swallow. Yeah. But it's true. Um, we don't really have a, a, a really, I think, accurate understanding of our sinfulness mm. and what it warrants and deserves. Yeah. Um, but, so anyway, it's just that's what I was trying to find was that passage of the blessings and the curses, because I was like, I'm sure there's something in there about natural disasters. Thank you. Daniel. <clears throat> yes. Will you give me a number between one and a thousand and one? Um, Twelve. Twelve. We will now have a lightning round of one thousand and one things you always want to know about the Bible but never thought to ask by J. Stephen Lang, whose combined book sales total over 1.5 million copies. Congratulations to J. Stephen Lang, by the way. That's fantastic. There's actually quite a few versions of this book covering a bunch of different, like there's one about the Holy Spirit, there's one about um, something else. <laughs> so. I, I saw his name, I think, in a CBD catalog. Yeah. But, hey, this is the guy we turn to every week. <laughs> he, is, he is nationwide. Uh, number 12 comes to us from Familiar Phrases. <coughs> number 12, Brother's Keeper, Kane. First child of Adam and Eve killed the second child, his brother, Abel. According to Genesis 4.9, the Lord said to Cain, where is, your, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? I don't really understand the phrase brother's keeper other than like, am I supposed to know where he is all the time? I think the intent is, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Hmm. I think it's the same idea. Mm -hmm. Go on. 
you are your brother's keeper. You, you should be looking out for his best interest. It doesn't mean that you know where he is all the time, but that you're looking out for his best interest. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Scott. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I think, I think this maybe is obvious, but that's a, a phrase that at least growing up, I heard like sometimes and sort of like, lighthearted ways, which I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but like, I'm not my brother, so like, I don't know where he is, is basically what it means. But I think, I don't think that's really what Cain was saying. Like, I think that's kind of on the surface, but really like Cain was talking to God here and like, that's not really, like if, if you're not already hostile towards one or both of these parties mm. and someone was like, hey, where's, you know, where's your sister? <laughs> be like, is it my responsibility to keep tabs on them? Like, clearly yeah. you're already like kind of ready for a fight. So I think it's just, that's it's, a good point. it kind of, I think, reflects Cain's, um, probably hostility towards Abel and kind and, of God. Yeah. You know, definite contempt towards God. That's yeah, reflected in his, yeah. cause like that's not, that's just not really the way that you talk to people that you're not, that you don't have like a beef with. Mm-hmm. So. And I mean, that contempt is shown in the offering that he brings that sets the whole chain of events off in the first yeah. place. Right. As well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bill is presently as we speak, teaching a class. Ah. Uh, called How to Experience the Holy Spirit Now in its fourth week. Bill, what did you guys talk about this week? What Jesus had to say about the Holy Spirit. Okay. Hmm. Really enthusiastic class, man. They are into it. Some people zoom in because they want to just be part of it. Yeah. Yeah, so the thrust of the class was based on Jesus saying these words that are very difficult to get your mind wrapped around. I've been trying to wrap my mind around this for over 40 years. It's from John 14, verses 12 to 14. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. Mm. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So the part that is so hard to wrap my brain around is anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these. Mm -hmm. So I've been thinking about that for my entire adult life. And it wasn't until about a year ago that it hit me that the reason why Jesus has such high expectations of us is simply because he has ascended into heaven and is in the throne room of the Godhead interceding for us and advocating for us 24-7, which is something else that's hard to get my brain wrapped around. But the reason why the disciples did indeed do greater things than Jesus himself did was because Jesus was in heaven interceding for them. Mm. And so we took a tour of the book of Acts for just maybe five or six stops showing where one of the ones that's memorable is day of Pentecost. Peter preaches. The thought is there's probably 500 believers in Jesus Christ at the time Jesus ascends into heaven. Peter preaches one sermon, and in that one day, 3,000 become believers. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh. Then Peter, in chapter 5, simply walks past people, and his shadow brings healing. Mm. They don't even have Mm -hmm. to touch him. The shadow of Peter brings healing. You think, wow, wow. Not even Jesus' shadow brought healing. This is so wild. So then that brings up the point of, okay, the apostles did greater things than Jesus. What about us? And I have to freely admit, nope, I'm, I'm, not even, <laughs> I'm not even in the suburbs of this. I mean, I can't even say, well, I'm doing things just as great as what Jesus did. Right. So why not? And and that's that's something we've really got to ask ourselves. Well, why aren't you doing things that great? Part of it is very self-condemning. It's 
Are you on your knees believing that Jesus is interceding right along with you? Hmm. Are you asking big enough that it would be considered this is just as great or even greater than Jesus Christ? Are you busy just asking for a few more ushers? Right. <clears throat> That's, that is not in the same realm as praying for somebody to be healed. Hmm. So it was a, a real lively class. I bet. Yeah. Daniel, are you doing things as good as Jesus? <clears throat> I'm trying to imitate him. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but. So Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the advocate, mm-hmm. right? Um, at least twice. Um, and he, like, if Jesus is our advocate in heaven, yes. does that mean the Holy Spirit is our advocate on earth or like our advocate within us? Like why, if Jesus is an ad, is our advocate, why does he describe the Holy Spirit as the advocate? I think the answer is Jesus is making it clear that it's better that I go to heaven. If I don't go, the Holy Spirit won't be sent. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So Jesus has this one limitation. He can only really be in one place at one time when he's walking on the earth. Hmm. These ideas of, well, he's also in China. No, we have no reason to believe he's also in China while he's in Israel. He's, he's in this one spot, which I think is just fantastic. I would love to have been in that spot and seen him and touched him with my own hands. But Jesus is the one who's the truth, and he's saying, hey, it's better that I go. I send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can be with all of you, mm. all mm. over the world, all the time. And he's my equal. Mm-hmm. Oh. So a lot of this is self-condemning. We simply don't believe him. Yeah. We, we're not asking largely enough. Mm. Um, we don't believe that the Holy Spirit can really be as strong as Jesus sometimes. Right. We think of the Holy Spirit as like the bronze medalist in the <laughs> yeah. 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 But we don't get that teaching from the Bible. That's no. I think it's mainly because we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and he's always mentioned third in that <laughs> baptism formula. Yeah. But in the Bible, he's mentioned first a third of the time, second a third of the time, third a third of the time, whenever mm. Father, Son, Holy Ghost comes up in the same sentence. Mm. Huh. Yeah, that's always convicted me that, oh, wow, God really was meticulous about making sure we understood the Trinity is co-equal. Yeah. Any last thoughts on experiencing the Holy Spirit before we move on? Let's get into Topic of the Week. Topic of the Week this week is brought to you once again by the Bloomingdale Church (laughs) app. Now you can take Bloomingdale Church with you on the go. Connect and engage with our community through the Bloomingdale Church app. Watch messages, give conveniently, submit prayer requests, and more. The Bloomingdale Church app available in both the App Store and Google Play Store. Search Bloomingdale Church or by texting APP, that's app, to 833-892-6200. Zero seven, Scott. You just sent out a push notification for the Bloomingdale Church app for the young adults group. I did. That's super helpful. Yeah. No more getting texts from weird numbers or mass emails that you don't open. Mm-hmm. That's nice. It is nice. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I've been hoping that. Well, the the so we um, when we first started talking about the app, I was really hoping that it's got this like groups feature that connects with CCB, which is really cool. And in those groups, you can like send messages and that's great, but there's no way to know when the messages have been sent. There's no way to turn on notifications for it. You don't get a little buzz like you get a text and you can't, right. uh, at least not right now. So it's like, if unless you're just constantly checking it, I was hopeful because what I do right or what I have been doing for mass communication with Yabs is like emails, sometimes texts, but those are both imperfect for the reasons you just said, Max. Um, so I was hopeful that the messaging thing would work, and it does technically, but not in a great way. So yeah, these new notifications we made, we asked our, our tech guy liaison at, at PushPay to make uh, a push notification 
category for young adults, you know, and I told the last couple of weeks that I was at YABS because I wasn't there last week. Uh, I, I told them, you know, turn on this notification. Um, you're only going to get a notification from this if I send it to you and I have to make it from scratch. So it's more of a hassle to me to make one for you than for you to ignore it. <laughs> um, so I think that, I think that that was a pretty, I think that got them. They're yeah. like, okay. Yeah. If it's just you making them, and sending them to me. That's so. a good division of inconvenience. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I will only send this to you if it's like an event reminder or like yeah. Yabs is canceled or whatever. Yabs being the young adults Bible soiree. Yes. All right. Soiree. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, for topic of the week this week, I want to talk about uh, <coughs> a pretty famous part of the Old Testament written by King Solomon, Ecclesiastes 3. One through eight says, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear sorry, tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Is there really a time for everything? I know Ecclesiastes is a very interesting book. I've heard a number of different, Tim Keller's got a really interesting opinion about it in that it's like written partially in character, partially not in character in like a literature style where it's, you're not supposed to necessarily agree with what like the, the protagonist is Mm. saying. You're supposed to, you know, in ancient literature, this is, there's like a form where it's like, ah, here's them putting forward (coughs) an intentionally false argument. But, you know, Mm. so you can take that perspective if you want. I'd be very interested in your opinions on Ecclesiastes as a whole. But is there, to start us off, is there really, truly a time for everything? To kill and to mourn and to hate and to make war. Well, I think something that's important just kind of from the get-go, and I I don't have a good way of knowing which way this leans, is, is he saying... um, like there is a right and proper time for you to do this? Or is he saying that in the existence of humanity on this world, there are times where we have done these things, if that mm-hmm. distinction is clear enough? Mm-hmm. You know, like, is he condoning these things by saying there's a time for them? Or is he just acknowledging that these things happen um, by saying that there is a time for them? Good question. What do you think? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what the right thing is. Like, I, I, I don't think, I mean, like you said, Max, Ecclesiastes is a, is a very interesting book. I don't think that this is saying that, you know, it is okay to hate somebody because Jesus told us explicitly that it's not okay to hate somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and given the choice between Jesus and Solomon, I would trust Jesus. <laughs> um, so like, I don't think that that's what, what our takeaway here is like, Oh, here the Bible is telling us it's okay. Hmm. Uh, you know, I think there's more nuance to it, hmm. particularly because it's found in Ecclesiastes. So I would lean towards, you know, that that's not what it's saying. It's not condoning these behaviors unless perhaps the character is condoning these behaviors, but we know the character is wrong about a couple things. So <laughs> that's where it gets kind of weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, this past week for the youth group, um, we were doing the wisdom literature um, because we're going through the Old Testament. So this past week we talked about Proverbs um, and Song of Songs and then Ecclesiastes was like last week. But the Bible Project has a really cool um, video that kind of describes this, Mm. um, the difference, um, like Proverbs, they... um, they describe Proverbs as like this young school teacher who is like really excited um, and pointing to like, just like she's bubbly and like ready to teach and share wisdom. And Ecclesiastes is this cynical old professor mm-hmm. like who's, who's seen life and like skeptical of things and is, realizes that it's not all going to be, um, it's not all going to be happy and bubbly and like mm. the, this overall 
good picture of, oh, if you follow and seek wisdom, everything will be good. Yeah. Everything will be taken care of. That's what Proverbs point to. And then Ecclesiastes deals with the reality that even if you do seek wisdom and try to do all these great things with God in mind, like sometimes bad things do happen. Mm. And the the cynicalness of that is played out in this uh, this old teacher um, pers- personality that the Bible Project depicts um, in this like character of Ecclesiastes. Yeah. Hmm. So I got a funny story about this. Yeah. When I was in California studying for the doctor ministry program on. A Sunday, my host took me to, it's like one of the most famous beaches in all California. Just okay. throw out some names. I think it starts with, a, it's not Malibu Beach. It's um, it, Muscle Beach is part of it. Okay. But, it's, but it's a bigger mm-hmm. name than that. I, it'll come to me in a minute. So this gigantic beach area where thousands and thousands of people come to it. And you can do everything there. You, you can play tennis. You can play racquetball. There are 200 um, sort of like tables set up. People are reading palms and tarot cards and okay. just, just all of this stuff is going on. <clears throat> People are giving speeches. So there's a person giving a speech. I thought, well, we'll just walk over and listen to this. And then the speaker is speaking. He reads from Ecclesiastes and he says, there's a time to love and there's a time to hate. I want to talk about the time to hate. I'm thinking, okay, you are not in the right place. (laughs) It's time to ease on out of here. (laughs) So I keep just backing up another step, another step, until I get to one of the walkways where, you know, there's just like a guy on a unicycle, just all this fun stuff going on, thinking, what in the heck was that? (laughs) Well, it is America. You know, you got freedom of speech. You can... You can do that. Yeah. Yeah, but that's always stayed with me mm. because <laughs> it was so weird. All right, hey, man, I just admire the guys out there speaking in public. <laughs> yeah, so I, I look at this book, and I, I think he's simply saying this is what is. Mm-hmm. He's not making a case for this is good. This is just what is. And I'm telling you, this book of Ecclesiastes, I used to just wonder, what is it even doing in the Bible? It's, sure. mm-hmm. it's written by a backslidden man right. who's lived a life that is contrary to what he even wrote about in the book of Proverbs. Mm-hmm. What is this doing in the Bible? And then other people would say, this is my favorite book in the Bible. And they were people I admired. One of them was Dr. Koza, okay, and the other one's Laura Schmidt. And Laura Smith did a teaching to young adults many years ago, and it was one of the most fabulous teachings I've ever heard in my life. Mm. She explained the entire book of Ecclesiastes in 22 minutes. It made perfect sense. So now I'm a real devotee of this book. I I really, really like it. But Mm. unless you have somebody like Laura Schmidt, come along and explain what's going on. <laughs> it is super confusing. Mm. What was the biggest thing that she said that you took away from it? That even this negativity in the book is pointing to how the world is really not what God meant it to be. Mm. And that mm. at his best, the writer... Who Koaleth is called the preacher. Right. The preacher is really making a, a great point, just in a totally different way. We're mm. not used to anything else in the Bible being this cynical, this negative, but but he's drawing out points that 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 just aren't being made other places in the Bible. Mm. So it's very powerful. Thankfully, he ends up with, you know, in the end. What he learned is to fear God. 
Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's not the end of wisdom, but it's the beginning. You don't mm -hmm. even get started without fearing the Lord. Right. Mm -hmm. So thankfully, Solomon said that. And, you know, if we see Solomon in heaven, hallelujah. If we don't, it's not going to be the biggest shock of my life. <laughs> because he really was a backslidden character. You think it's possible that uh, one of the writers of the Bible wouldn't be in heaven? I... I I, I'm not going to say it's probable, but it's but it's possible. Yeah, yes, I've never thought about that before. That's very interesting. Well, what, it's just bugging the life out of me. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, I, I he's agree. inspired of God to write the scriptures, and yet he's he's so backslidden. I mean, you guys, like, well, come on, God, did you have to use this book? And then God's <laughs> answer is, yeah. You just need to understand this book. You guys went through the Kings uh, in young adults Bible soiree like a couple months ago or maybe like a year ago now yeah um did he repent at all at the end of his life like did solomon just pull anybody into his into his throne room and say like i messed up like because <laughs> he definitely as bill said i mean he starts at his peak and pretty much descends from there you know david was much more of an up and down and close and far from god and uh you know i'm gonna say no i don't know off the top of my head it's been a while. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say no, though. And the reason I'm going to say no is because of what happens after Solomon's life. Mm. Because Ezekiel has this this verse that I just love. Because um, Ezekiel is like a gloomy book. Um, lots of like pretty harsh judgments in it. But in Ezekiel, God says, um, I'm going to kind of paraphrase a little bit, but basically... Um, he has both sides to this, but the one that I'll focus on is the more positive side, which is even if I have said to you, you will surely die if you repent and come back to me, right. you will live, um, which is like astounding. Yeah. Um, I mean, granted, God knows whether or not you'll do that. So that's another conversation. <laughs> but based off of what happens after Solomon's life and based off of God's perspective in Ezekiel on on repentance and, and really that there's kind of, there's no point at which you're too far gone as long as you repent and come back. Right. Uh, I'm going to say Solomon probably did not repent because what happens after his life is exactly what, you know, what God said was going to happen after his life. And I think if he had really made a full return and repented, probably the kingdom wouldn't have been split. Mm. And that whole fiasco of the next like hundreds of years wouldn't have happened at least not as soon. Yeah. So that's, that's just kind of my, my guess. I don't know for sure whether or not the Bible addresses Solomon's repentance, but hmm. doesn't seem like it. Yeah. You hope that he wrote song of songs after Ecclesiastes, right? but I don't have a lot of hope for that because song of songs, it just comes off like a younger man no mention of a thousand wives. He's got this one person that he just loves. Right. And you think, okay, you ever read your own book here? How <laughs> did you end up with 700 wives, 300 concubines, and so far from what you wrote in the Song of Songs? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, looking a little after this section, one through eight, um, it says... In verse 11, he has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also put eternity in their hearts, but no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. Mm. And I find it interesting that um, there's a connection of there's a time for everything. Um, and that God like has some, maybe some sort of like hand in like what's going on yeah. and like control over what's going on and seeing this up and down of like there are good things and there are bad things that happen in the world and then after that we see uh, or tied to that mm. we see that god has put eternity in our hearts mm -hmm. and i wonder i wonder if there's some sort of wisdom in there and seeing that like there is later on like this chasing after a vapor because we know there is something um, that we want to grasp onto and we see and put things in all these different times and, um, and either throwing stones or gathering stones and trying to make that like our thing, like trying to grasp something. Yeah. Um, and that is kind of 
a place of why there is so much up and down throughout this mm. this world and evil and, and good all in her twone in this crazy world it's because we have eternity in our hearts and we long for something mm. and here we see like this realization that it is up and down because there's a striving and searching after something and mm. that something if placed in anything other than god is is futile right the world doesn't fully collapse because it does try and you know because eternity is in the human heart and we know we're missing we have a god-shaped hole in us um and yet we still as ecclesiastes says later on uh, god man made god made man to be righteous but he has each turned down his own wayward path um well, i was going to ask i was going to ask where you see jesus in this but i think that's a great answer is that you know this is not a world that will uh, sort itself out we won't equalize at some good or holy conclusion without Jesus. Um, we won't eventually, you know, the goods and the bads will even out and everything will be okay. Um, it's, it's all about, you know, what Jesus did to, to make it so that we didn't have to save ourselves. We didn't have to sort it out ourselves. Um, final thoughts before we close out on Ecclesiastes 3.1. Bit of a lightning round. We may return to that in the future because I, I love that conversation. Listeners, if you would like to be part of the show, you can send questions and would-you-rathers and trivia quizzes and honestly, you know, parts of the Old Testament that don't make any sense to you. And you wonder, why, God, did you have to use this? And he says, yes, I did. Uh, to podcast at bloomingdalechurch.org for our closing segment this week. It's time for bets. Last week, we asked how many reviews the Bloomingdale Church app would have on the App Store and its average rating out of five. Bill said 12 ratings for 4.9 stars. And Daniel said 15 ratings for 4.75 stars. In the end, the app at this moment has seven ratings with an average of 4.7 stars, uh, which is funny because when I checked it last week, it had eight. So in the time since someone has rescinded their <laughs> rating, <laughs> that, that or their account has been detected to be a, like a bot or something that's been removed. What's funny about 4.7 stars with a seven rating is that is the only way that can be is if it's six five stars and one three star. So whoever's out there and put a three star for the Bloomingdale Church app, I respect your guts, but you got to write a review to tell us to, how we can improve it. Uh, so both, I'm going to say both da uh, Bill and Daniel win. Bill was closer in the number of ratings, but Daniel nailed 4.7 Five is what he said, but 4.7 stars. Uh, so both of you win. Um, I think we found the guy with a three. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel bringing the average down to get it closer to his from Bill's 4.9. Uh, that's true. If, if it wasn't for that one three-star, Bill would have won. Uh, this week, as we mentioned, the snow is coming down. It's mostly stopped now. Um, uh, but we are in the middle of a severe weather day. Gentlemen, when it's all said and done, how many inches of snow will have accumulated when the storm warning ends at 6 p.m. tonight? Uh, I'll be measure the, measuring the accumulation uh, in the yard between the brick and the brown house. So if you want to mm. factor that into your calculations, you're welcome to it. Um, how many inches of snow? Bill? Five and three eighths. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Seven. And Daniel. Uh, six. Six. I like a, a good diplomatic answer. That is all the time that we have this week. Uh, thank you, Bill. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Daniel. Thank, thank you, Max. Max. Daniel, take us home. <laughs> you have been listening to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast, brought to you from Bloomingdale, Illinois, the heart of the nation. Watch out where the huskies go. Don't you eat that yellow snow. Ba -da -ba 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 -ba. <laughs> the Beatles. Is that the Beatles? I think so, yeah. Oh. Well, on that note, I saw, I saw the plow out, so it might be smaller. It might be smaller.
What do Minnesotans have to do with the Olympics? The National like Curling Center is like really? 15 minute drive away from Crown. That's pretty cool. When I was in North Carolina, we went to the National uh, Whitewater Rafting Training Facility, the Olympic Whitewater Rafting Training Facility. That's a real thing? Apparently. No. I don't know how you get graded. So did, did you fall out? <laughs> <laughs> Did you fall out in style? Ooh, yeah, it's like kind of doing like a lazy boy in the <laughs> the new Olympic sport. It's uh, stylized whitewater rafting wipeouts. wipeouts. Yeah, stylized wipeouts. It's like kind of like diving. Yeah, you know, the, you know the diving, but it's much less time in the air. <laughs> I think it's, you got to make the biggest splash. It's much less about how much you can do and about what you you know the one thing that you do. <laughs> That's right. And what props you can sneak onto the boat without getting what props you can as you throw the oar out. What props can you get ready? <laughs> You've been whitewater rafting, Bill? Oh, I love whitewater rafting. It's better <clears throat> than sex. <laughs> <laughs> So that recorded. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else to what? say about it, Bill? <laughs> oh, the first time I ever went, the Mahongahela River in Pennsylvania, they, there was a flood. And I had showed up with four or five kids all the way from Akron, Ohio. So we, we had driven four hours to be there. And we we're the last ones there. And they're kind of like, are we going to do this? And we show up all the way from Ohio. It's just like, oh, golly, we got to do this. Uh-huh. They didn't know. It wasn't like a day where you could text. This is right. 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. So here we are. And they're, they're really concerned because the, the waters are going over the banks. Like, well, and it was warm. Oh, the water was so warm. And there were like 50 people in this group. So we get in. They give us our five minutes of instructions, and we were in the water for maybe 30 seconds and get bounced out of the boat. It was fantastic. <laughs> Man. Do you, like, climb back in? or? Do oh, you... yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you climb back in, and you take off again, and we were just getting knocked out of that boat left and right. <laughs> <laughs> then the real topper was, at a certain point, there's these rocks, and and they they had us jumping off the rocks into the water. Whoa! And then they would fish you out because <laughs> you're just going to go down the river. So they'd throw you a lifeline and pull you in. Oh, it was that was one of the most fun days of my whole life. Wow! Yeah, man. How was Disney World? It was great. It was exhausting. I we went hard. Was it your? Was it your? <laughs> was it better? Than, what is it better? <laughs> was it better was than it whitewater, whitewater rafting? rafting? <laughs> uh, it's been a long time since I've been whitewater rafting, so I, I'm going to say yes. It lasted longer. Bill is giddy as a schoolgirl today. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm just worn out. Oh. Got up and exercised for an hour and a half, and then did the snow blowing. Oh, I was so yeah. tired from that. Oh, oh man. Yeah, I need a shovel when I get home. Now that's finally stopped snowing. Seriously, yeah, um, yeah it was super fun. 